Well, let me encourage you to turn to uh, the first letter of John, 1 John, towards the very back of your Bible and towards the very back of your New Testament even, uh, 1 John. We're going to be looking uh, at that, some pass- passage from here, but also the psalm that was read to us this morning as well. Just a little shout out to Erina this morning. It's great to see you with us, Erina, from Albany. Always nice to see you back in town. Very good. Well, I've got a question for you as we begin this morning, and uh, maybe we'd all answer this one a little differently. Um, When you know you have seriously messed up, when you know you have sinned, and you know full well (laughs) it's your fault, no matter the circumstances that you find yourself in, Firstly, is it possible for you to get up again in such a way that you have more joy and more power in your life than before? How do you get up again not more broken because of your sin, but actually in better shape? What could possibly bring that kind of transformation in our lives. Well, today we're continuing our series, Truths That Transform, that we've been doing for quite a while, looking at truths we find in the Bible that if they land for us by the power of God's Spirit, they will radically transform us. And the one that we're looking at today most definitely will. It's one that deals with our failures with our sins, with our weaknesses, past, present and future. It's the biblical truth known as confession. And I want to suggest to you that it is really, really important for us. Really important. Why? Well, firstly, because it's foundational to actually becoming a Christian in the first place. You cannot become a Christian without confession. Because when you become a a Christian, you confess your sins to God, on the one hand, and you confess your faith in Jesus at the same time. That's actually what it means to become a Christian, to confess your sins to God and to confess your faith in Jesus. But it's also really important for a second reason, because it's vital to us in growing as Christians. That is, as we continue confessing our sins to God, that's of course unless you don't have any, we continue to confess our sins to God and we continue to confess our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. So let's read one of the primary passages in the New Testament that unpacks that for us from 1 John 1, chapter 5, and then we'll dive into it. 1 John 1, chapter 5, sorry, verse 5. 1 John 1, verse 5. John writes, the Apostle John, this is the message we have heard from him, that's from Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not Practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Please join me in prayer. Father, I've already said this morning that this is a vital topic for us today and so we don't want to miss it. Please speak into our lives by your word around uh, the idea of confession, the blessing of it, the beauty of it that we may rejoice in the fact that we are able to do this and that it brings us so much good from your good and gracious hand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we often have through this series, I want to give you a definition up front about what confession is. A definition up front about what confession is. All right, now there are obviously probably lots of them, but here's one I found, and I think it's okay. I think it's fairly good. All right, you might be able to improve on it. Confession is the acknowledgement of sin to the Lord, whether at the beginning of the Christian life, which we've already talked about, or as an ongoing practice throughout the Christian life. Confession is the acknowledgement of sin to the Lord, whether at the beginning of the Christian life or as an ongoing practice throughout the Christian life. And the idea in the Bible is this, the word that's used for confess is all about you and I, get this, agreeing with God. It's about you and I agreeing with God in terms of his view on us and his view of what's real. It's about you and I no longer seeking to create an alternative reality, whether by straining hard or whatever, but agreeing with what God says is true. In other words, it's about agreeing with God in terms of what he says about us, about you and me, and ironically about what he knows about us, recognising that he is the all-knowing, all-seeing God. Confession is about us confessing what God says and sees to be true. So you might be sitting there at this point and asking this very valid question. Why is confession a good thing then? Like if I've got to come clean like that, why is it a good thing? Why would I do that when God is so perfect and so pure and so holy and dwells in unapproachable glory and all those kinds of things that we see in the Bible? Why would I come clean about my sin before God, when I feel so ashamed often of what I've done and what that says about me, why would I do that? Well, friends, I want us to see two compelling reasons why we would do just that this morning, why it's a wonderful thing for you and I to confess our sins to God and why it's such a gift from him to be able to do so. Two compelling reasons. Why would we confess our sin to God? Firstly, because of the beauty of confession. 
the beauty of confession. Have a look again at 1 John 1 verse 5. Keep your Bible open or your pen, uh, sorry, your phone lit, whatever it is. Um, keep the text in front of you because it'd be good. There's some really important things we, we want to see here this morning. 1 John 5 verse, sorry, 1 verse 5 to 8. This is the message we've heard from you and proclaim to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Stop there. Confession of sin is so good, it's so wonderful because it means no more denying reality. It means no more denying reality, no more ignoring what we know deep down to be true No more deception. Do you see in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, what happens? We deceive ourselves. We live self-deceived lives. No more living double lives is probably the way we would think about it. Double lives with God and double lives with others. No more denying of reality, what confession does. But more importantly and more wonderfully, it means living with transforming confidence in the good news of Jesus. Confession means living with transforming confidence in the gospel itself. And we see that in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's two words there that we skip over really quickly, but I want to unpack them this morning. Two things that John says about God that ought to make us want to confess. The first is this. He is faithful. He is faithful. Now, that could just mean he's faithful to what he says, which would be true, but it's actually more than that here. John is alluding to God's covenant faithfulness or loyalty, his loyal love. Friends, you know this already, perhaps. Our God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. They are the covenant realities that his people know about him that he is loyal in his love towards us and that he is faithful in his love towards us. He is the God of covenant love. It's who he is. It's how he's always been. He's always made covenants with his people and then he's always kept those covenants. He is the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. We've talked about this Hebrew word called kesed, or, or sometimes translated hased. I'm not an expert in Hebrew, but the Hebrews knew that that was the covenant word about God's loyalty and that he would never break it. That he would never break it. Now, as Christians, we are in relationship with God through the new covenant. Through the new covenant, a new covenant that God promised long ago through the prophet Jeremiah and others, and then established through the person and work of Jesus, especially his atoning death. 
And I want us to see what was promised in that covenant and how this relates to confession. Have a listen. Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to read to you a couple of verses and then we'll dive into there. A couple of verses just before. I just didn't want to make it too small on the screen. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So the old covenant has been broken. God's going to make a new covenant. He's promising this hundreds of years before Jesus. And this is what he promises. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's normal covenant language, relationship language. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Everyone who's part of this covenant relationship actually knows God personally and deeply. But there it is there. Look at it at the end. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now there's some awesome realities promised in this new covenant. But notice at the heart of these promises is the forgiveness of sins. This is what the new covenant includes. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. And you ought to be saying, how's that possible? How's he going to do that? That sounds like a great promise, but how's he going to pull it off? How's he going to do it? How's it possible? Well, it's because it's God who does it, so nothing's impossible for him. And notice how many terms the word I, the word I or the letter I is used. It's not a word. Is it a word? I don't know. Right? I will do this. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and I will forgive their, their iniquity. God's going to do it doesn't depend on you, doesn't depend on me. And he's going to establish it through the death of Jesus on the cross for us, this new covenant. Now, do you remember, just before Jesus died, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Do you remember what he said to them? Lots of things. But literally hours before he went to the cross, this is what he said, which is what we're going to remember, right? And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This new relationship with God is being established by God through Jesus, through his atoning death, which when we receive by faith, When we turn from our sins, confessing our sins, and turn to Jesus, confessing faith in him, our sins are forgiven. And we are brought into this new covenant relationship with God. God is faithful. He is faithful to his covenant promise. He is the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. He will never walk away from this covenant. And so, friends, this is where it lands for us. He will never walk away from you or me because he's established this covenant and he's sealed this covenant and he will not break it. You come and confess your sins because he is faithful. 
He will not abandon you. He will not leave you. So you see the beauty of confession. It's actually experiencing the gospel itself at a personal level. So we can come. We can come. Agreeing with what God says about us. Agreeing with what he already knows about us every bit. Knowing that he is faithful. Knowing that he has established this covenant through Jesus. But that's not the only word John uses to describe God, is it? What's the other one? He is faithful and just. He's faithful and just. Now, (laughs) I'm not sure how just is an encouragement for me to come and confess my sins either. Usually justice means mm, something I don't want. However, the way John is speaking of it, it's exactly that. You see, there's only one way that God's justice against our sin can be encouraging to us. It can only be encouraging to us if it's been fully satisfied somewhere else. If we're no longer facing it because someone else did on our behalf. And isn't that precisely what God did for us in Jesus on the cross? If you have your Bible open, and I hope you do, just have a little look at the next couple of verses from 1 John 2. The very next two verses, John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So the trajectory is that we might not sin, but when that's direction, not perfection, because he goes on to say, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see what you've got here? You've got like a courtroom scene, haven't you? You've got a courtroom scene with God as the just judge and Jesus, our advocate. What's an advocate? An advocate is someone who speaks in your defence on your behalf. So my little children, I'm writing this so you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's perfect. And not only is he perfect, but he is the propitiation for our sins. That is, he is the sacrifice of atonement. He is the one who turned away God's just judgment from us. So can you see why this now becomes an encouragement to confess your sins? Because God is faithful and just. Your sins have already been dealt with. One of the, sing, one of the songs we sing uh, puts it this way. Your blood has washed away our sins. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath, justice, completely satisfied. satisfied. Not partially, completely. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, once hostile to you and facing your just and righteous judgment, now where am I? I'm seated at your table. I'm in your household. I'm part of your family as we heard a few weeks ago. Jesus, thank you. So how is God being just an encouragement for you to confess your sins to him? Because whatever it is, whatever you've done, 
already been paid for. And God is just. And his justice has already been satisfied. He is not going to require justice to fall again on those sins. Jesus has fully paid for them. So there really is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There, there really is, friends. You know, Romans 8.1, it's actually true. So you and I really can come and confess our sins to God because he is faithful and just because of the gospel. We don't need an intermediary. We don't need, if you like, a, a priest or a pastor or a shepherd or, 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 or some special method of bringing our sins to God. No, no, we come and confess our sins to God because Jesus has paid for it all and God is faithful and just. We have a priest. We have if you like, the ultimate pastor, the ultimate shepherd. He's the good shepherd. His name is Jesus and he lays his life down for the sheep. So come and confess. You and I don't have to live in denial anymore. You and I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. You and I don't have to to pretend or fake it with God anymore or with others for that matter because God is faithful and if we confess our sins to him, listen to this, he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will take away our guilt and he will remove our shame for he himself said, I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. That's the beauty of confession. That's a compelling reason to do it, right? And when that happens for us, when we take hold of this by faith, we will know the blessing of God deep within our lives. And it will literally transform us. Which leads me to the second compelling reason to confess your sins to God. The beauty of... Sorry, that's the beauty. The blessing of confession. Have a look back at that psalm that was read to us, Psalm 32. We're not going to go right through it, but we're just going to kind of look at a few bits of it. Psalm 32. What we actually have here in Psalm 32, if you don't already know, is a testimony of King David. It's a testimony of confession. His personal experience, if you like, of not confessing his sins and then confessing his sins. Listen to what he says. Blessed or blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now we need to pause for a minute and just unpack that word blessed. What does it mean? What does it mean? We often assume we understand key words in the Bible. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But if you don't, here's a basic understanding of it. 
The idea for blessed here is the idea of experiencing and knowing a complete sense of well-being, a profound sense of fulfilment and a heightened state of happiness or joy that flows from a favourable set of circumstances. Let me say that again. A complete sense of well-being, a profound sense of fulfilment and a heightened state of happiness and or joy that flows from a favourable set of circumstances. That's what it means. That's what David is saying. And the favourable set of circumstances that he's referring to or that he's experiencing, what is it? Forgiveness. It's having his transgressions forgiven, having his sins covered, not having the Lord count his iniquity against him and being completely upfront with God and coming clean about his sin. That's the circumstances that David calls blessed. Now let's unpack that a minute. Notice that he uses three words to talk about his sin. One, he looks about, talks about transgression. Second, he talks about sins. And third, he talks about uh, iniquities. And he talks about his transgressions being forgiven. That's kind of the idea of guilt. He's transgressed something. He's guilty of transgressing it. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. His guilt is forgiven. So that deals with his guilt. Second one, his sins covered. That's more to do with his shame about what, he, what he's done and what that says about him. The opposite would be to expose it, right? There's, there's, I know there's a whole bunch of things. You know, if, if you could have your thoughts put up on this screen just for five minutes, you'd be, like, I want, you'd be running out the door probably. Right? There are things that you don't, you, you don't want exposed. And when it comes to God, our sins are exposed often, but in the grace of the gospel... Covered. They get covered. Not exposed. And then your iniquity is not counted against you. That, that's kind of the idea of charges dropped. You're facing judgment, but then all of a sudden the charges have been dropped. Blessed is that person. Blessed is that person. Remember Jeremiah? I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, does God forget? That's an interesting question, isn't it? When you come across these verses where it says, oh, I won't remember them. Does God forget? You know, if I, if I standing before him uh, one day in heaven, I say, Lord, I'm really sorry, you know, that I, I kind of did that that day. And he's like, huh? I can't remember. What are you talking about? Is that what he does? No, it's not. Sorry to bear that, be the bearer of bad news. He doesn't forget. But he doesn't remember them in terms of taking action about them. Huh? It says in, Ex- in Exodus chapter 1 or 2, he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Does that mean he's like, oh my goodness, 400 years, I forgot about those people I made a covenant with. Better do something. Oh, just remembered. No, it doesn't. It means in terms of his covenant promise, he's now going to act. I remembered. I will not remember their sins. I will not act in relation to them in judgment because they've been dealt with. And all this while you are in fact a sinner and you are a transgressor and you have iniquity. This is the blessing of confession. 
But do notice that it wasn't always David's experience. Verse 3 and 4, what does he say? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Verse 5 kind of implies that there was a point where he wasn't acknowledging his sin and he wasn't confessing his transgression and he was trying to cover his iniquity over himself. Now, kind of ironic, don't you think? I mean, David knows, I'm pretty sure, could be going out on a limb here, but I'm pretty sure David knows that God is all-knowing and all-seeing. And so do we. I don't know whether you've seen, well, I know you would have seen, news items where someone's done some kind of crime and they're on the run from the police and they're jumping through neighbourhoods and over fences and on roofs and wherever to try and hide from those who are trying to arrest them. There's only one problem. There's something in the sky. It's called pole air. And it has a heat-sensitive camera. So no matter what the person does to try and hide, it's there for all to see exactly where they are. And you usually see the final bit where they kind of corner the person where they are because pole air is direct. It's like that with God, though. He knows. He sees. He sees it all. And so don't try and hide it. It doesn't work. And it didn't for David because what happened for him when he didn't confess his sin is in verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength with strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Notice what happened to him. When he didn't confess, it literally drained the life out of him. That's what sin does, right? Promises life in multiple ways at the same time robbing us of it. That's the key words, bones, wasting away. That sounds like a progression towards the grave. What sin does, it brings death. And before death, it brings a deathly existence. David experiences darkness. In reality, he's experiencing the curse of sin that's in play until forgiveness comes to us. But notice David's not about to let him go. Sorry, God's not about to let him go, is he? David says, your hand was heavy upon me day and night. Sometimes there's a kind of a different way that we want to thank God for his hand on our lives. And sometimes it's to keep us coming back to him and not to allow us to stray too far. He comes and he confesses, verse 5 and seven, five through 7. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
and he kind of starts heading towards praise as a result, doesn't he? He says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they, now, they shall not reach him. Don't muck around with your sin. Come to God. Everyone, everyone, come to him. Come and do it. Come and confess it. Come and let him free you from it. And then look what he says. He's been hiding from God. And in verse 7, he's reached this place of saying, You are a hiding place for me. Now he's hiding in God. Fully accepted, fully forgiven, fully cleansed, fully embraced. So verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 9. Don't be like a horse or a mule. It's not a very flattering kind of description, is it? <laughs> What's wrong with them? Well, they've got, to have a, they've got to have a bit put in their mouth to direct them. Don't be like that. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. David experiences this complete sense of well-being now, doesn't he? He complete, experiences this profound sense of fulfilment and a heightened state of happiness and joy flowing from these favourable circumstances, the forgiveness of his sin. He finds himself in an amazing place, in better shape than he was before. He finds himself with a testimony of the blessing of confession. Now, many of you probably know the parable of the two sons in the New Testament. I'm not going to focus too much on them, but I just want to use them as an illustration for what we're talking about this morning. Particularly the first son, the younger son. I don't know whether you know the story, but uh, it was, he grew up in a Jewish culture, which is a shame and honour culture. And so what he did in the story is absolutely magnify because of that. You respected the law, the Torah. You respected your heritage, your Jewish heritage. You respected your elders and your father and, the one, and your grandfather. You, you held them in honour. But this young son who wasn't the firstborn, so he wasn't the heir, he wasn't the one who was initially going to inherit everything, came to his dad and said, I want my stuff. I want my share. In other words, I wish you were dead. And his father gave it to him. He brought shame on his family. He brought shame on his community. He brought shame on himself. And he went and he lived with, with people who, were the, who they were not supposed to live with, non-Jewish people, Gentile people. And he was defiled by the lifestyle with them and ended up in such a bad place. He was feeding pigs, which if you know Jewish law and pork, it just didn't go together. So he's at the very bottom, the very lowest of the low. And then it says he has a moment of clarity. He comes to himself and he says, How many of my, this is from the pig pen, he says, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned. Here he is in confession. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Just, just give me a job. Down the back of the farm, I don't care if there's no relationship, if, we're, if you ever talk to me again, just give me a job kind of somewhere with one of your servants. And if you know the story, you'll know that he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran 
and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but that's as far as he got. Because the father stepped in and he says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Every action by the father is picturing our God when we come to him and confess our sins. Can you imagine as this son walked up the road into that village? Who's that? Is that such and such? What the heck is he doing here? Get him out of here. Where are the stones? Such shame. And here comes the father. Covers his shame in front of everyone. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And if that wasn't enough, get a robe. Get the robe. My arms aren't going to be able to keep covering his shame. Get a robe. Let's put a family robe back on him. Get the ring which establishes him as his sonship yet again. (laughs) Put shoes on his feet because, you know, we wash our feet in our culture and we don't want him, you know, just with dirty feet coming in. Put, make, re-establish him. That's the blessing of confession right there. And this is how our God, our Father, welcomes us when we confess. This is what he does in our lives when we come clean to him, when we no longer seek to deny reality or create another one. When we agree with God about what he says and about what he sees. God, our Father, welcomes us. He is faithful and just. He will never walk away from you and your sins have already been paid for. Let me ask you as I ask myself, will you come to the Father and confess your sins to him? Even today. Even today. Even this morning as we take communion together in a little while, will you come and confess your sins to him and confess your faith in him? And will you rejoice? Will you rejoice that he's faithful and just and, and you can be real and true? So liberating, right? Will you rejoice that because he's faithful and just, you can be confident? Will you come and experience the blessing of confession, not just today, but tomorrow? Make a resolve even today, going forward, that this is something that's going to be a Ongoing practice throughout your life as a followers of, followers of Jesus. You don't want the effects of sin to hold you back. When you come and know the relief of guilt taken away, the blessing of shame covered, the freedom of knowing God no longer counts your sins against you because he has counted them against another 
namely Jesus. Friends, may we know more and more in our lives deeply the blessing of confession